Welcome, friends and lovers, to another week in the For Your Reference household. We're starting off with a very, very exciting announcement, OT. Oh, yeah? Yes, we have launched a Patreon. Yes, we are now that podcast. Um, everything is going to be exactly the same. You'll be satiated just as much um, with this podcast, but we've got some extra content if you want to support us um, even just a bit more. With all of these streaming services, um, it might help to have a few denarii or two. Mm-hmm. All right, OT, are you ready to walk on over to your phrase or mine? What is it? You need to strap in, my love, because this is 300 and we've mentioned it quite a few times on this podcast. And you've also been with me for a few years because this is going to be one you need to be ready for. All right. They've mentioned it in the movie and it is also not in English. So this is your clue to strap up. <laughs> also, OT wanted to do his own research as well. So hopefully that will bolster up in a correct answer. Are you ready? Yeah, bring it. There is a classic laconic phrase. Mm-hmm. Molon labe. Oh. Now, I am even going to give you options. Oh, okay. Because I'm a courteous queen, just like Gorgo. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Molon labe. Is it with it or on it? Is it we will fight in the shade or is it Come and take them. Come and take them. See. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to take credit for that because I have broken you in just fine. So let's get on to the show. Salve, friends and lovers. Welcome back to For Your Reference. You've got your host, KT. And OT. And OT, what is your profession? Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) 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 Fucking hell, I am so proud of you, OT. (laughs) I'm on it today. I'm on it. All titties are out, all dicks are out. We are ready to go. If you've read the title, if you've been waiting for this episode, you are about to climax just as well. (laughs) Today we are covering the film, the accolades of all 300. Funnily enough, I didn't even know there was a following film. (laughs) Um, 300 Rise of the Empire. So we also watched that as well i think most of our conversations will be about 300 though to be fair yeah nothing much happens in the what what do they call it a Uh, prequel midquel sequel (laughs) yeah and that's when you turn into like a cloud atlas situation oh yeah we've banged on cloud atlas before let's not do it today well that's what billy bob was doing in halle berry ayo she won an oscar mate ayo (laughs) she also won a razzie Uh. in the same year (laughs) and that's what happens when you bring up Halle Berry for no reason progress mate I will smite thee with my erected sword (laughs) can we get into this 300 okay I just want to say from the outset because we are a learned people we do attract learned friends and also learned listeners for all of you that hang on OT let people 
put their glasses up, give them some time to put their glasses up and say, this isn't historically accurate. Are well, you talking about Tom? <laughs> Hi, Tom. Um, Tom was one of our guests uh, from History of Aotearoa. Um, please make sure you check out his podcast. But yes, he is <laughs> he is at the brunt um, of all of our, this is not historically accurate. Um, well, you can bend over and spread your cheeks because this is actually based on Frank Miller's graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So come and fight us. Come and fight Frank. Come and fight Zack Snyder because this is based on a comic which is based on Herodotus who was the father of history. So even then, it wasn't written at the time of the Battle of Thermopylae. So I think that's just advice for the world. Bend over and spread your cheeks for four-year reference. Oh, advice will last you for ages, man. Because we are coming in, all tits and all erections blazing. <laughs> <laughs> if only you guys knew, there's no video podcast for a reason. The budget, OT. Mm-hmm. So we, also, we already mentioned that it's Zack Snyder at the helm directing. What would you surmise was the budget? And this came out in 2006. Cool. Um, I don't think they spent that much just because I think it was all shot in one location, uh-huh. um, just behind a green screen. So uh, 20 mil. Wow. Let's give OT 20 mil and see what he can create. <laughs> really? You Have you seen my Nigerian productions, mate? <laughs> <laughs> you don't even want to claim them as Kenyan. You just <laughs> need to be very specific here. <laughs> Shout out to the Nollywood scene if, it, if you guys want us to cover any Niger movies. Um, the budget was actually $65 million. Oh, cool. So your gross underestimating really just ruined the budget because I think they achieved quite a lot with $65 mil. They did. They really did. Um, in the first sort of cut for Zack Snyder to get Warner Brothers on board, he actually took the comic, took out all of the dialogue and created like an animation to mm. sell it to Warner Brothers. And they're like, no, this isn't enough. So they created like a really quick sort of sequence um, mm-hmm. for like one Spartan decimating all of these Persians, right? Um, so that was that's quite an interesting sort of fact as well because they've got that sort of, I guess we'll talk about the animation and the cinematography as well. But $65 million to, to be able to achieve that, um, they weren't necessarily, Warner Brothers wasn't necessarily expecting it to gross as much as it did. Oh, how much is it gross? So the budget was $65 million. Mm-hmm. They usually say for a film to make back its money, it needs to make two or three times as much as a budget. Mm-hmm. $65 million budget. Worldwide gross, $456 million. Ooh, that's some cash moolah right there. That is some serious coinage. So it, oh, wow. All of the accolades. And I think it got, and I don't think we've ever uttered the word Rotten Tomatoes. Um, on for your reference but i think it got around 60 mm-hmm. um on rotten tomatoes and rise of the empire is like 40 so deservedly so um but it's oh this was you know you can call it a cult phenomenon you can call it a cult classic you can call it garbage you can call it whatever you like because you know what we can have a lovely discourse without fighting each other. Well, you know, OT and I, that's kind of our default final form. Um, not today. Not today, man. Oh, not today. Not today. Today, I'm fully with you. Well, everyone, keep track of what he just said because he will definitely <laughs> go back on what he says. So that's 300 and we're definitely going to spend most of our time in there. Um, let me just quickly capture off 300 Rise of the Empire. So this was actually directed by Noam Munro, mm-hmm. who's an Israeli 
director. At first, I thought it was like Zack Snyder was trying to like distance himself from like the film after starting to watch this film, but it wasn't necessarily so. It just clashed with his Man of Steel. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is its own thing. Yeah, true. It's its own thing. Um, so he still produced that, and he still got credits on this film as well. But it was directed by Noam. Um, the budget of this, so three hundred was sixty-five million. The budget for this one was one hundred and ten million. Mm. But that just goes to show you, you can throw more money at something; it doesn't necessarily make it better. Yeah, but this had more. I think they were fighting. Um, the scale, the 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 scale was much grander. Yeah, and uh, Effialtes actually looked better. Yeah, he did. Like, you know, on a sad, desperate night after a few, you might actually consider him. Mm, yeah. Plus, he had the bottle in the water, so the adds on level of complexity and all. Well, apparently, it was actually done on dry land and they digitally added the water afterwards. So, speaking in terms of digitally having to do all that as well, cost-wise at least. Oh, I, I'm feeling this air of superiority. Are you, are you on the Persian side or are you on the Greek side? Where are we today? Not so sure. <laughs> He's going to wait to see who wins. Um, and the worldwide gross, so after a $110 million budget, it grossed $337.5 million. That's not, that's all right. So it, it didn't necessarily do as well, but it, you know, it, it kind of did enough, probably, than it needed to. So let's quickly go through the cast. So in 300, we have Gerard Butler, and it's sad to think that he went down the road of. Um, rom-coms with Katherine Heigl and also Jennifer Aniston. But let's just remember him in the glory that is 300. Uh, we also have Lena Headey mm-hmm. as Queen Gorgo. We have David Wenham. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. Have you? No. no. I don't think I've seen him in anything. I just kept thinking that maybe he was Nikolai Costa-Waldo, but it wasn't him. Um, so, you know, apologies to you, David. <laughs> we have our man. McNuddying in all the holes, Dominic West. Yeah, he plays this sort of characters quite well. He does. It is like, I, I don't know about you, but personally, even though he was skeevy and he was gross and maybe even, a, not even maybe, a little rapey, I kind of didn't scorn him as much as I probably should have. Because <laughs> he just plays these devious characters so deliciously. And definitely check out our Wire episode um, if you're into that and you love The Wire. Um, and also, I just want to give a shout out to Michael Fassbender because this was his first feature film. Yeah, who would have thought that? I, I didn't even realise it was him. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? Um, I don't know for you, I watched 300 before I watched Spartacus. As well. And I watched 300 at a time. Obviously, once you've watched something and then later on in your viewership, you'll come back and watch it and realize there's actually so many big names there mm. or well-beloved sort of thespians, yeah, if sure. you will. So that was quite nice. Um, I don't know much about uh, Michael Fassbender's whole filmography, but for 300 to be his first feature film, that is accolade alone. Yeah. I remember a movie uh, he did with um, Nicole Berry, um, the lady from Sleepy Hollow. Bahari, yep. yeah. Um, is it like I a rom-com was, or something? I think that was the first movie I saw him in. OT said he did his research and apparently this is where he spent his time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to dispute uh, Spartan facts, but there you go. <laughs> my research is complete. <laughs> you, you never know what you're going to get a four-year reference, my loves. Um, so let's go through the cast of 300 Rise of an Empire. We have Sullivan Stapleton as Thermocles. Mm-hmm. As soon as he opened his mouth, I'm like, this guy's an Australian. 
(laughs) You could just tell that he was an Australian. And it's like, shout out to, you know, all of the filmmakers out there. Not all the time, but it seems like when they need like a man's man, a fully masculine man, that more often than not, you'll find an Australian there. Mm. Like in Spartacus, a lot of the cast was Australian and or from New Zealand. And come and fight me, New Zealand people. We're kind of the same, really. It's that whole sibling rivalry. Um, And also at some point in time, no matter how you feel about Mel Gibson, he was also in Braveheart as well. And you also have Russell Crowe as a gladiator. Like, you know, Aussie guys, that's where they're at. Mm. Just not in the streets, mate. Well, unless you want to start that podcast, though, T. Um, Uh, I don't think we're going to be diving into that. Speaking of uh, places we want to dive into, who doesn't love an Eva Green? And I feel like she was the driving force for this film because I didn't even know that Rise of an Empire existed. And then your selling point was that Eva Green was in it and I still kind of don't know um, much of her filmography. All I have to say is Dreamers. And then I think... A lot of people out there get it. Sploosh Mountain? <laughs> Beyond Sploosh Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Sploosh Summit. Yeah. Um, well, I thought she was quite effective uh, in her role as well. Um, we have Lena Hetty coming back. Um, we also have uh, David Wenham coming back. And we also have Rodrigo Santero, who plays Xerxes, coming back. We also have Callan Mulvey, my best friend. He's also Australian and he's kind of in everything mm. as well. He's in uh, Spartacus. He's also in three... Uh, not 300, uh, Power, which we just did an episode on, guys. Um, So there's quite an expansive cast um, that we have. And again, if you play it for your reference drinking game, um, I always say expansive cast. So um, feel free to get drunk with us. But that's essentially the cast. Um, Like I said, we will probably be focusing more on 300 because the Spartans alone are enough. Um, We'll we'll talk about general sort of impressions about the film and... as a whole and also rise of an empire as well but you know we've done this quite a few times in some of our episodes so i wanted to do that for 300 as well and it's called foundational qualms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've done it a bit informally like in our lion king episode um and also it as well we did it a bit more formally in our joker episode as well essentially if you've listened to our podcast before we have what's called our frame of reference so we could be watching the same film together but our experiences, what we've gone through in our life can really pepper our viewing experience. Um, Not only that, there's also hype, there's also vibrato surrounding a film as well. So these are the things that we like to address so it doesn't get in the way of the discussion of the film. We've addressed it, we acknowledged it, we fucked it, sometimes it fucks us and we move on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these are our foundational requirements I'm just going to go through. And we kind of already talked about the fact that it's not historically accurate. Again, hi, Tom, if you're listening to this um, or anyone else in New Zealand, please spread the word to Tom. Um, <laughs> come and fight me again. We fight multiple times throughout the week. So <laughs> this will be no surprise. I just want to, um, you know, I just want to pepper some more in regards to the fact that it's not historically accurate. From the, for I guess the end all and the be all of this sort of viewpoint is that it's based on a comic book. Mm. So that's pretty much end of story. The only other thing that I want to mention in regards to it not being historically accurate is if you notice the film of 300, the account is being orally <laughs> told from Delios's character. Yep. So obviously you're going to have a lot of Spartan vibrato 
in regards of the recounting of the story. Um, you know, there weren't any rhinos or elephants um, at this particular time. And for some reason, OT wanted to fight me that it was a possibility. I'm telling you it's a fact that they weren't there. But, you know, we can fight against other things. But you also said you weren't going to fight with me in this episode. Yep. Letting it go. And I also want to say that would be a stupid thing to fight over because there's many things we can fight over. <laughs> um, it is sad that Xerxes got his elephants before Cersei. that's a game of thrones reference and we do have a game of thrones episode guys actually two we have the main one which covers seven seasons and then we also have a bonus episode um so that's for the game of thrones fans just to satiate you that much um but in regards to it not being historically accurate it is coming from the point of view of the spartans right and um i think we talked about this in the wire episode it's like you know, like even within your family, like there are stories that you tell to the world that aren't necessarily true. And then there's the truth that your family know inside. Um, to bring it back to history, you know, talking about Indigenous Australians, you know, there were early accounts of them witnessing for the first time, you know, the white people coming to the shores. And because they didn't have any sort of frame of reference for guns and cannons, it was imagined as beasts, Mm. you know, these mythical beasts and powerful beasts um, coming onto the shores to Australia. So hello. Hi. Did you not think we were going to get deep today? Get ready for the penetration that is for your reference. So I just wanted to mention that because, you know, in the famous words of Winston Churchill, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Any desire you had to fight me has dissipated because I gave you some lovely sources. So <laughs> let's move on to the next foundational qualm. Um, you know, even reading the reviews, especially from Rotten Tomatoes, there was a lot of, um, you know, criticism about the one-liners. Mm that 300 famously has um the only thing that i would say in regards to that is in regards to the spartan society and we will get into that as well they in in accordance to you know the brutality of fighting and being beaten for hours and days on end they actually had classes of music and dancing and arithmetic so they were actually quite light on their feet and there are a lot of historical accounts from my best friends herodotus homer and also plutarch Mm. to a certain extent, where they actually talk about how Spartans were actually known for being very quick-witted as well. And a lot of the iconic lines that you hear from the movie are actually taken from historical accounts as well. Mm. So just peppering. Yeah, just just the peppering on your For Your Reference Foundation. So I just wanted to put that out there because it it kind of seemed too perfect at times, the one-liners. And the beauty of it, a lot of the sort of delicious quotes that you have are actually from historical accounts as well so that's right shout outs um there are a few i just want to quickly go through there was some vibrato about homosexuality and it potentially being pejorative or being viewed in a negative light um spartans were not notorious but it, it was a known fact that there were relations with each other especially in the barracks as well um i could all, see that right yeah. um there were also you know, there was a, I think it was in Rise of the Empire or maybe at the end of 300. No, it was 300 because he had Dominic West's character where he was talking about adultery. Um, mm. Adultery kind of didn't exist in Sparta. Like women were free to bed whoever they wanted to. Maybe for the queen specifically? No. Oh. Just Spartan women in general. They were their own kind. We need to go back to that time, don't we? 
We do. <laughs> More for me than for you, but there you go. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are ancient accounts of like talking about adultery and how it just doesn't um, exist in Spartan society. So I just wanted to mention that because um, I think that's more of like a Western sort of, um, you know, inkling affecting sort of an ancient story because oh. they're actually quite progressive for back then. Um, even the way that women were viewed, but we'll come to that in a second. Um, something that I wanted to also address before the last one um, is the pronunciation of the names. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward, you will hear us refer to um, Leonidas as Leonidas. Um, there are some historical accounts I remember watching in high school that called him Leonidas. <laughs> Sounds like some spot upper <laughs> It's like some vomit forever. Um, and also some historical um, historians in regards to the documentary surrounding 300, um, they also called him Leonidas, uh, Leonidas. I don't know what And Leonides. So there are so many ways to call it, but we are going to call him Leoni- um, Leonidas. <laughs> God. Because um, if that's the case, I want to call Theocles Theococles. <laughs> Themistocles? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, all in regards to the pronunciation, people just calm your titties, calm all your privates and we're going to be fine. The last foundational qualm that I wanted to bring up, OT, I actually want to bring you in on this. Mm-hmm. Accents. All right. I feel like it's a disservice because it actually, no one bothered me. No one bothered me in this film, but I feel like we need to bring it up. Like even in our Black Panther episode, we gave lashings specifically to Forrest Whitaker about accents. But I don't know. It just didn't, accents didn't bother me here. I guess it comes to having that frame of reference as well. Because I know nothing about Greece and Parsians and how they sounded then. And frankly, it didn't bother me because I thought, yeah, it's fine. They're all speaking English. Mm, oh, well. Mm-hmm. But then when it's something like Forest Whitaker and Black Panther, I have a bit of reference to that. And I was like, mm, this is throwing me off a bit. Mm-hmm. But then again, people who are knowledgeable about this stuff, it might affect them. Yeah, so I just I just wanted to mention it because people might throw that in our face because we talk about accents a lot, but I actually didn't mind the mix match because there was a lot of different sort of accents in this film. Mm. All right, well, let's dive in to 300 specifically. Let's start off with our first impressions. Um, I think OT should start first before I go. So in regards to 300, did you know much about it? Were you a fan of ancient history? And what did you think about the film when you first watched it? And how did you feel about watching recently? Um, I know your background in this is a bit more vast than mine, but I really didn't have any sort of reference growing up towards these things. I think the only thing about growing up was playing God of War and learning about or watching Hercules. And I think that was all I got from that mm-hmm. sort of time period. Our school really didn't teach us much about that. We were more focused in what happened from World War One going forward. <laughs> yeah. And focusing more on African history. So, um... I went into this just really knowing the basics of it. Wasn't really keen as many people who are angered by the fact that it's not historically accurate. I was just like, oh yeah, sounds cool. Looks good. I like how it was shot. I loved everything about this movie. It was light. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed the sequence. The it animation. was light? Visually or story-wise? Visually. Okay. <laughs> there was a lot of heavy shit in this. Well, yeah, it was, it was, a lot, it was heavy. But then again, you could just sit back and switch off and just enjoy it for the action sequences alone. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what most people did, yep. to be honest. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was good. Had fun with it. And I think it deserved um, all the hype. And the fact that three when I watched Spartacus later, it, it just reminded me of how 300 was. You know, it's just well, the, like the, a callback to how awesome it was. And It, it was mandated that the first season of Spartacus rely heavily on 300, which mm. was quite clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And you know what, um, just with what you were mentioning before, I really feel like we should tackle um, not even like an ancient, some sort of like African history sort of film because I feel like that is a gap in the market, if Mm. you will. Um, There is, especially when it's so vast and a lot of shit has happened there. So you know you get all these tasty stories, but the only problem is I think it will just shed a lot of people in a bad light and yeah, no one wants to live through that again. Well, you know, like I said many times, like true crime is on the rise. We, you know, we have a hard day at work and then we watch Mindhunter. No, like, it's like it's like making a slavery film and people are like, oh, a slavery movie again. Oh my God, can they just get over it? And it's the same sort wow. of, it's the same sort of trail of thought that goes behind that because you just don't want to face what happened back then. And it's ancient history according to people even though it could be traced back to some odd 20 years ago so you know fair enough let's let sleeping dogs lie i guess well yeah and it, but it is an interesting um sort of idea i definitely want to do tap into that though because you know growing up in australia in regards to history if we're talking about like modern history we only really learned about like australia but not even indigenous australia but i don't want to make that about that today um and then we would learn about world war one world war two and some of like asian history where it makes sense in the context of australia but we never learned anything about african history Mm. and and the weird thing is we are drilled into the world history like we learned a lot about farming in canada (laughs) that we ought to be (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like we learned some random shit about world uh, about a uh, world history, and you're like, nah, this is this is ridiculous, and and nothing is being taught about Africa out there. So, yeah, re- like I feel like the only sort of African history would be like slavery. Yeah, interesting. And uh, this was a verbal example of our frame of reference. And sometimes these are the tangents we go on. (laughs) Um, But if you guys are interested in, um, you know, us going down that path, I think it would be actually quite interesting. Mm. It would be. Personally. Um, But let's let's dive into my first impressions Mm. for 300. You know, you talked a lot about, you know, just, you know, who you are not being reflected in history. I am from a tiny little dot in the Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. Tonga. Look it up. We have an oily flag bearer in Olympic um, sort of events. And we also have the fattest monarch. We won uh, the Guinness Book of Records oh. for the fattest monarch. So shout out to us. <laughs> that That's our claim to fame. That's really all we have. But essentially the reason why I mention that is I don't expect to see myself represented, whether it's in history or whether it's also in media. Mm. Only recently we had Moana. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, if, even if like Polynesians sort of get like represented, I don't think there's enough of us to create an uproar. What do you mean? Those are Hakka in Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> and even that wasn't enough. Oh, uh, yeah. Even that wasn't enough. <laughs> 
to get me through. But yeah, it's like I just, it's interesting. It's very interesting because I don't expect to see myself portrayed in history or like the recounting of my history or yeah. the stories of my people. I just don't expect to see that on mm -hmm. a world scale yeah. at least. Um, so I really, I kind of saw it as like fantasy, like as like fiction, reading about ancient history. Mm. And I satiated on every tasty morsel. You know, all of the kids were out having boyfriends and flicking each other's beans. And I was sitting there pulling my glasses up and reading historical events about Sparta. Like that was, <laughs> that was my life. And you're welcome, Oti. I was preserving that pussy for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I really loved um, like 300, like Sparta, the Battle of Thermopylae in particular. I really loved reading about these stories and – if you've been on our Instagram or our Twitter, you will see that we actually have a little statue of King Leonidas. And I actually made OT buy that for me for my birthday. Uh, yep. I was surprised as you or me. Some, some girls want pearls. Some just want a pearl necklace. Am I right, ladies? I don't know anyone wants the other one. But. If there are any ladies that relate to me, I kind of don't want to know who they are. Because the other time, <laughs> the other time I mentioned it was, uh, I think it was in the Spartacus episode when I was saying you keep your panties on for a few days so you can keep the funk. I don't want to meet other ladies like myself. Mm, mm. I think the world is enough just having one KT. Yep. We don't need some more. But anyway, I really loved um, the story. And I feel like OT really got the experience of being in an ancient history class because I was pausing or I was interjecting sort of historical facts as we went along the way. So let's let's talk about the film, finally. Let's talk about The Spartans. Um, you know, the, the story I really enjoyed um, overall, let's just talk about the both films in particular. So in regards to 300, I felt it was very effective because a lot of the narratives that I enjoy are personal stories and, you know, the, the politics or, you know, any sort of overarching military sort of tactics are in the foreground, right? Yep. I really enjoyed that because then you get more investment in regards to the characters and there's more emotional payoff as well. What I feel like in regards to Rise of an Empire is it the the the, the scale was much grander and we didn't get time to really dig deep into the characters. Mm. What made them tick? Yeah. And why we're cheering for them. I think if they wanted to do it, they should have made it like a TV show because the 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 scale was more grand. Um, but I really felt like 300 was very effective in what it was. It was definitely something different of the films that were coming out then. You know, we mentioned Gladiator earlier. It was delicious and it was great. And you see the grit and you see the not so much anti-hero, but you see a protagonist in Russell Crowe's character where he's not necessarily perfect, mm. right? But you didn't get to see the aesthetic pleasing not to, i love russell crowe's face don't come and fight me tugger but i mean just as a whole like it looked like a comic book there was a lot of effort that went into the aesthetics and the optics of 300 and and i think which made the movie what it is because it was completely different from what was out there at the time oh yeah um the effect made it more immersive to people mm -hmm. you felt completely as if you're fully focused on what's happening in front of you i think they made they made a lot of effort in trying to remove all the other distractions. Yeah. So every stroke on every 
thrust <laughs> is completely captured and you're like god the brutality of it all as as is breathtaking and you're fully immersed in this experience because we've watched a lot of war movies and stuff you know yeah. and, and it's done well but what Zack Snyder did here is completely remove the noise and yeah. fully focus on what's happening in front of you and it just translated really really well and that was actually quite intentional so to have it look so mystical and to bring that fantasy sort of element it's to remove the fact that yes this was a point in time in history but creative licenses were spent mm. and you know, unless you're that, it, it's literally up to the viewer. If you're watching this for a wholly historical account, then that's on you, dude, right? Like, if you actually want to hear the full history, then, again, see my best friends, Herodotus, Homer, and Plutarch, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you if you want to enjoy a, a immersive narrative bolstered in creative licenses then this is where you watch it and i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with taking creative license this film is a perfect example of where it is used correctly yeah i agreed like and even even most recently with rocket man you know you have elton john and it is kind of a pseudo sort of biopic for him but there are fantasy elements in there mm. Right. But it was a it was a gripping story about Elton John's life and how he saw it through his own frame of reference. Mm -hmm. So I really feel like 300 was very effective. And kudos to them because it didn't feel gimmicky, at Mm -hmm. least to me. And it managed to couple my attention the entire runtime, which is super hard to do. It's not easy. Yeah. But it's sad because in this day and age, like two hours doesn't feel long. Because mm. you're getting movies now that are like two and a half, two forty-five. Three hours. Who's got the time and who's got the bladders for these sorts of films? <laughs> right? Yeah. But let's let's go into three hundred. So if you've watched Rise of the Empire, um, the good thing that the second film does is it rounds out the overall big picture, right? So let's just take a walk down history's lane. We had, and if you've watched Rise of an Empire, it will actually make more sense to you. Mm-hmm. So in 490 BC, we have what's called the Battle of Marathon. This is the first instance that the Persian Empire were coming to invade Greece. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's very egotistical because if you look at a map and you look at the Persian Empire at the time, they had an overwhelming proportion of the world at this time. Mm-hmm. And in, in comparison to how small Greece was, you know, it, it was a no brainer. Mm. They were just going to invade. It was going to be an easy thing. But what they didn't account for was the heart. Mm-hmm. And the goal. And the strategy. And the military prowess. And we mm-hmm. will definitely get to that as well, right? So that's just, you know, if you want to go and do a little bit of research, just have a look at the optics of how big the Persian Empire was. So you have King Darius at the helm. Spoiler alert, if you've watched the film or if you've read some historical accounts, they lose, right? So, you know, the Athenians um, actually get them at bay and the Spartans actually didn't, um, weren't, well, they were observing like a religious festival at the time. So Mm. that's why they didn't attend. Um, But this was a nice victory because it also, at the time, a lot of the Greek nations relied heavily upon Sparta. So it was a nice instance of, oh, we can actually handle this ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So you have the Battle of Marathon that happened in 490 BC. King Darius dies. Mm. 
And then things happen. Ten years later, we have the Battle of Thermopylae, which, which in the film they're saying Thermopylae. You can Thermopylae your ass because that sounds gross. Um, they had the Battle of Thermopylae, which is what 300 is centered on. I have some qualms. Why? Out of all of the Persian Empire, they had already fought Greek armies at this time. Mm-hmm. Not Sparta specifically, but their weapons were inferior, mm. right? And that was part of the reason why they didn't win at the Battle of Marathon. Mm-hmm. Why then did not one person try and re-strategize? Because when they went to go and fight up against the Spartans, they weren't any better. Because three to one, mate, they outnumber them. So they thought, regardless of whatever they throw at us, we'll just keep on coming at them. And it's it's hard to respect that, right? That mm. laziness, yeah, right? So, yeah, so you have it. And it's, it's just a stupid little thing, but I thought that was a bit funny to bring up. So you have the Battle of Thermopylae, which is where we are in 300. And it really focuses on the Spartan elite, if you will, Mm. who were most commonly known as the Homoioi or the Spartans. Um, This was the elite sort of class within Sparta. They didn't really show a lot of slaves or, you know, the social structure within Sparta, but they did have slaves as well. They were also known as the oligarchy because they had two kings ruling, Mm -hmm. which was quite unusual as well. Um, And then you also had the E4s, which were the inbred motherfuckers. Yeah. Up in the mountains. Gotta have your inbreds. Said by OT, but not reflected by <laughs> Katie. What are you doing in the basement? What the f- <laughs> oh, He dear. laughed with deflection. Mm-hmm. And then you also, we haven't even mentioned the Oracle as well. Yeah, some teenagers drugged up to tell people what to do. Well, yeah, they lit up these stones, got her high, and whatever she said was gospel. If you're part of the religious pun. Yeah, which is as much as accurate as the religious leaders now, but I'm not going to get into that. Ew. <laughs> Again, if you didn't think we were going to get deep, spread cheeks, my friends. Get ready for it. Um, but, you know, they had a whole society and it is essentially centered around the protection and the love and the absolute adoration and loyalty to Sparta. Mm-hmm. And that actually starts quite young. As you see in the start of the film, all of the babies are inspected. If there's any sort of blemish, they kind of get discarded, right? And then once they turn seven or eight, they move into the Agogi, mm-hmm. which is a school. So the interesting thing about Leonidas is he actually had two siblings that were older than him. Mm. Um, the middle child kind of just went into exile because he knew that he wasn't really going to be anything um and the older one actually went mad like he went cuckoo for cocoa puff so leonidas wasn't really in the line of deity or into kingdomship Mm. right um but by default he did become the king um his name actually derives from lion so they they believe they're descended from heracles and also hercules as well um who's known for battling lions as well but they go through the Ugogi where, like we mentioned before, they spend hours being beaten up, right? And it's really to bring that sort of resilience yep. to life. Um, they also have a sequence at the start of the film where um, Leonidas's character is facing a wolf. That didn't happen. That was admitted by Frank Miller. That was just so he could put it and be nice in a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it does is it perfectly illustrates on a, another level the, the military strategy of the Battle of Thermopylae, mm-hmm. which is what 300 is based on. Because you see he's, he's facing the wolf and the way that he conquers the wolf is funneling it into that little crevice. Yep. 
Yeah. And that's how he gains the advantage. So that shows that, you know, imagery and symbolism can be very effective. So true. In the tapestry of a narrative. And it does it very well. Yes, it didn't happen, but, you know, get your finger out of your ass and let's have a good time. It's story time, yes. Thank you, Influencer OT. You're welcome. That's your profession, apparently. <laughs> so let's let's talk about Leonidas and Gorgo as a unit. I love them. I think there was quite a strong partnership in there. And you have Gorgo fully trusting exactly or knowing the strengths of Leonidas and what he's got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Leonidas wasn't going to listen to the Oracle, and she already knew that. but the spartans were a very religious people yeah but at the end of the day you saw leonidas as being logical above all else Mm -hmm. these guys are coming to our land telling us to just worship them and then they'll let us be of course not he knew there was gonna be more and and freedom above all else there was a comment at the end was it in 300 rise of the empire where they were talking about the try to die rather than leave the slaves yeah and it's so true. And Leonidas saw that. And regardless of whatever religious festival was happening at the time, this took precedence. And Gogo saw that and realized that. Well, the interesting thing about the social structure in Sparta is you have the elites of the Spartiate, and the women were actually in there as well. Mm. They were almost considered as citizens, mm. which is very rare yeah. for an ancient society to have. So like I mentioned before, um, they also um, went through schooling and they were taught how to fight and they were actually, so they were allowed to exercise and they were also allowed to be educated Mm. as well. So relative to the rest of Greece, they stood out. You Mm. know, there are ancient accounts and I think it was from Plutarch where he talked about, you know, Sparta being the city of beautiful women, Mm. right? And they were quick-witted and even when we had our best friend Peter Mensa as a messenger, He's like, how would you allow women to speak amongst men? Mm. And Gorgo said something to the effect of, because only Spartan women give birth to real men. Mm-hmm. That's a mic drop yep. right there, right? And I loved, Gorgo had such delicious one-liners as well. You know, much of the same as men. I feel like, aside from the fact that I don't exercise, I feel like I could slot in quite well into Spartan society as a Spartan woman. <laughs> Do you think you could be a Spartan man? Oh, yeah. Because if, but you need to believe in that beautiful death. Yeah, and what's funny about that is, oh, so I'm dividing you guys a bit to African history, which is quite hilarious. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) So in Tanganyika, so modern day Tanzania, there used to be a leader called Kinjakitile. And when the Germans evaded, so he formed this rebellion called uh, Maji Maji. Maji is pretty much, it's just water. Okay. So he convinced the people that um, if you drink this water, the German bullets won't hurt you. Oh, wow. The Africans, they didn't have guns or anything. Yeah. They just had their spears and their daggers. So when you're facing an army <laughs> that has guns, of course you'll be scared. Yeah. But he told them, if you drink this water, those bullets won't do shit. Mm-hmm. And man, an uprising was so brutal. People were really hyped up and they fully believed it. And they ran into battle. They were shot, but they still kept on going. You Just, need to have that. You though. need to have that. You really do need to have that. And it's one of the things that really transformed this sort of um, brought up about the nationalism in Africa. It was mm-hmm. one of the things that really sparked things into li- into life and made people take note. Because regardless of the number of people who died, yes, it was massive. Apparently around 300,000 people. Jesus. 
it still sent ripples across Africa. But morale is very important. It is and, important. And the way that you um, approach a battle is very important. It really is. And that's what saw a lot of the success with the Spartans and also on a level Vikings as well. Because there are historical accounts as well where you would have Persian spies, you know, laughing and scoffing at the Spartans because they were all naked, applying perfume and oiling themselves up. Again, this is not our Friday night. These are historical accounts about the Spartans. Mm. Um, But... The point is, the reason why the Spartans were doing that is because they were actually preparing for death. Yeah. And you kind of need to be in that mindset in order to, because you need to bring your whole self. You need to leave the fact that you might have a family you've left behind or a family that you're hoping to have, and you need to leave everything on that battlefield. True. And unfortunately, if it's to, if it's under the guise of the fact that you won't be hit by these bullets, mm. then that's what needs to happen. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was very interesting. Um, I definitely want to talk a bit about uh, Peter Mensa being the messenger because also it was, it was a very sacred thing in regards to messengers. You didn't kill them. Mm. You left them alone and you didn't kill them. But as soon as um, Peter Mensa is a messenger, that's what he's credited as, which is very rude. <laughs> he's just called messenger. Um, when he comes into Sparta, Leonidas says, your words are your words. Speak carefully, right? And, you know, these are some of the most delicious moments that you have in regards to 300, right? Because most Greece sort of city-states left messengers alone. Spartans were like, fuck that shit. You said what you said, right? And then you have one of the most delicious lines, mostly getting used in, like, EDM tracks. (laughs) This is Sparta! With the (laughs) kick. You got to remember the kick. And um, that is such a great... Like, wouldn't you love to be kicked by Gerard Butler in that iconic scene? Yeah. And I want to believe that when he got kicked into that well, he rolled into the world of Spartacus. And that's his origin story. Yup. Check out our Spartacus episode, guys. He became Doctario because he fell into a hole. (laughs) Well, we also see him in The Rise of an Empire where he trains... Eva Green's character yeah, as well. So that was quite nice to see the Doctore mm. in him come out as well. So, you know, there there is a whole sort of underdog dialogue that we have with the Spartans, right? Um, historical accounts actually said that the Oracle said that you can go into war, just be prepared for a, a, essentially a path of destruction. But in this film, it was like, no, you can't do this. Um, but essentially you have 300 I would rather have 300 of the strongest than thousands of potters. But, you know, they, they talk about like potters and sculptors and poets, but so are the Spartans as well. Mm-hmm. But I would rather have 300 of the strongest. I'd rather have the numbers and have an actual strategy on how to utilize them best, regardless of their prowess in combat. Interesting. Because I think I could do more with a lot more people than I could do with just a handful. Well, you could make more mistakes, which is what the Persians were doing. True. But then Xerxes had a god complex and he just thought... Literally. Send them out and he'll conquer. So literally not sort of strategy other than just insistent pressure. So you mentioned at the start of the episode in regards to military combat. Let's talk about it. Mm. Because so you had scores and scores of the Persian army and 300 of the Spartan soldiers. 
right? So we have the imagery and we have the symbolism of Leonidas when he's a kid with the wolf, mm. right? Effectively finding an advantage and using that against the wolf, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the, you know, you can have default advantages when it comes to war, when it comes to combat, but there are geographical advantages that you can use as well. Mm. And what I really what I really found frustrating is, yes, you've got a lot of numbers in regards to the Persian army, but they really didn't learn from their mistakes. They didn't really seem to have any sort of scouts as well <laughs> that would scope out the land. Mm. And I don't know what the rules were in regards to war, but I kind of would have checked because essentially it became a funnel. Right, so they mentioned it a lot of times. Their their multitudes meant none, mm. because they were all getting funneled in through the hot gates, otherwise known as Thermopylae. Yep. It was an interesting display, and I know we talked a bit about it, but I definitely want to give a bit more accolades in regards to the coloring, if you'll pardon the direct pun, um, and also the cinematography for this film. It is. Mwah, delicious and i know people joke about it being like this is just a homoerotic excuse for guys to jerk each other off well friends and lovers i felt myself growing a dick as i was watching this and (laughs) (laughs) that newly formed effie artist dick was getting hard like why can't we enjoy a film for what it is yeah right it was glorious and people and a lot of the times I will defend, you know, in a few episodes about the word gratuity. This film was fucking gratuitous and I was tasting every morsel of that. Yeah. Why not? Why not bathe in the gloriousness that is this film? And to know that semblance of it actually happened. Oh, yeah. Takes it to a different level. And, you know, a lot of the times Xerxes will say, I will erase you from history. No one will know about this day. (laughs) Well, he was dead wrong. (laughs) Because the legend of the Battle of Thermopylae lives on. Mm. And, you know, history is a very interesting thing. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, in 2019, what holds thousands of years from now. Yeah. For your reference, obviously, because we're going to shove it in every orifice we can. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if this was the only time capsule that people had for 2019. Bloody hell. We failed humanity. (laughs) We're like, thank God they're gone. Thank God the robots have taken over, right? But it is a beautiful display of camaraderie, of military strategy, and of the classic sort of underdog story. And what got me is... I never knew Zaxis was not a black person. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, I just always assumed he was some... Me too. Some brother from somewhere. <laughs> and then years later, they were like showing... I think I was reading an article and I was like looking at pictures of showing the cast of 300 yeah. before and now. I'm like, what? This small white fellow was Zaxis? Come on now. <laughs> well, his name is Rodrigo Santoro. Hmm. So he's got a tan to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was very disappointing as well. Obviously, he was like made to be a giant. A lot of his scenes were in a green screen because they had to obviously enlarge mm. areas of him. Oh, they enlarged a lot of areas. <laughs> and they also dropped his voice a whole octave. I really feel like you could have voiced over him. Nah. No? Nah. Not a fan? 
it, he had an interesting sort of story, even in the second film. Um, but it, obviously, it was it was it wasn't grounded in reality. It was more of a fantasy sort of element. In regards to the second film, it was actually supposed to be based off the graphic novel by Frank Miller as well, called Xerxes. And I do want to make it clear, we don't have Rodrigo Santano in our studio at the moment. That is actually our dog licking his balls right now. (laughs) I want to talk a bit about the politics that surrounded Sparta. Mm. First of all, I'm very disappointed that the old men weren't ripped. (laughs) Yeah, because I didn't have everyone ripped in society. Well, they should have been. Yeah, they should have been. Like the baby should come out of the womb with muscles. Mm. Like, that's what I was expecting with this beautiful society. But it ties in nicely together with Dominic West's character, Theron. Mm. I can't help but feel like Theron sounds like our cunning exec producer dog, Theo. Mm. Who, if you've been paying attention, has been licking his balls the whole time. Mm-hmm. Which is not much different to Theron's character as well. What did you think about him? Like his sleazy ass. and. Uh-huh. <laughs> you could see that he'd already been bought off. The first minute, I think they introduced him into the scene was... He said it was keeping them company. Yeah. 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 And you could see that he had he'd already been bought off. He had ulterior motives. It was all about money and gold for him. And he essentially just sold the whole city down the drain. So I didn't have any love for him as a character, even though it's Dominic West and I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, he was just sleazy as, and the fact that he took advantage of Lena of, of Gargle, and then later on just went back on his word because he'd already gotten what he wanted. But did anyway. that surprise you, though? No, he didn't. <laughs> I did. It didn't. But I, I expected more from him. I appreciate it. It had 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 that sort of element because a lot of the times when there is a threat, you're always expecting a foreign. If you're part of the pun, you're you're expecting a foreign sort of entity, mm. right? But what people don't account for is the domestic sort of entities that are planning and plotting against you. Yeah. So it created a interesting sort of dynamic as well. Yeah, and I guess you always have those sort of people in society. Like Africa had heaps of them mm-hmm. who took on the colonialist point of view and just fucked everyone else up. So it, it's, I uh, can can we just take some time for that audible gap? <laughs> like, do I go there? Yes, I'm gonna go there. Happens all the bloody time. It does, and but I think from a from a narrative point of view, it's quite interesting to have different dimensions or different sort of characters that are gunning for the seat of your throne. Mm. So Theron really introduced a very interesting sort of dynamic and, you know, him intimidating Gorgo, I really appreciated that Lena and also Gorgo's character was not intimidated by him at all. Yeah. Yes, yes, he did take advantage of her, but she actually offered herself to him Mm. as a political sort of move as well. I know Sparta was quite progressive, but I don't know that she would have been so wholly receptive um, in that quorum of politics as well. Um, but it was quite an interesting sort of dynamic to see that skeeviness. I think um, it is possible, at least for me, to enjoy those sorts of characters if it's done right. Yeah, if it's done right. Like, I saw him for who he was. And granted, his character just rubbed me the wrong way because of my frame of reference. Well, he rubbed Gorgo the wrong way. But anyway. <laughs> 
because of my frame of reference, but it's just more of, yeah, I see it. It's all about self-interest and all. Mm-hmm. And we have countless people who do that already. So the fact that shit, and I was happy that when Gogo just didn't take any of that at the end and just stabbed him, it was just lucky enough that probably I thought there would be repercussions for that. Yeah. But until those coins fell, it was yeah. like, who? yeah, oh, here's a trader. And how feeble are those men? Oh, yeah. They swing like a pendulum from decision to decision. Like, oh, Gogo is bad. Coins drop. Trader, trader. Yeah. Piss right off. Yeah. Jesus. It was fucking gross, man. Yeah. But isn't that indicative of our times? It is. Ayo. <laughs> it really is. Like Which all, is sad. all around the world. No, no politics are safe in regards to this sort of rhetoric. Yeah, for sure. But fucking hell, man. Like such a beautiful story at least of of the spartans not necessarily the politics of it all um but gorgo's character was so strong um you know in a lot of accounts when she speaks to leonidas for the last time before he embarks on battle she says what should i do now Mm. and he says marry well and bear good sons and that that really denotes to what the importance was in regards to Sparta. Yeah. And I, I do just want to mention, I, I definitely want to talk about Ephialtes, but I also want to give everyone a reference check, which is also a reality check. You know, you might think you're a Spartan, but I think more often than not, we are Ephialtes. Because <laughs> I know a lot of the people that listen are podcasters. Hey, go, hey. Um, but... Spartans were essentially jocks. Like they were the most athletic, the most gorgeous. They were getting the most fucking. And then you have Ephialtes in the corner starting his podcast. <laughs> uh, no one is safe from KT's wrath. If I can't have my stanky ass underwear, this is what you get. Mm. Right. But it's it's like, let's talk about Ephialtes because he's also another element in regards to the narrative that was bringing the downfall of Leonidas. Mm. He is. And remember when he approached Leonidas and I told you, he should have just kept him on. Mm. But I forgot that Leonidas was like, you could tend to the wounded, you could do something, you could be useful other than being in battle. Because I was going to say the same thing. I was like, why does he just let him be around? Not necessarily in the front lines, but just be around. And that's exactly no. what was offered. But he he was so insistent on actually being there in the front lines. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't even lift his shield. So Leonidas did nothing wrong with his treatment. He was actually quite nice. Mm-hmm. More um, nicer than I think he would have been in reality. Probably, yeah. probably. But he was nice in this movie. And he just wanted more. He just wanted something that he couldn't have. But OT, this is literally an intervention to tell you that you will never be a Spartan. Because the whole ethos of being a Spartan is, you know, and even a line in the film that Leonidas says is, you are only as strong as the man next to you, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that you would let a weak man be in there in any sort of capacity just shows you that you would not be a Spartan man, unfortunately. They formed a dome, whatever, to protect themselves. Like a turtle it, formation, yeah. He would be in the center, Nah, All cradled, like nah, the surprise dude. attack. Maybe in Athens, but not in Sparta. <laughs> yeah, but Not anyway. in Sparta. And that's why you're not understanding, because even if he was, you know, taking the role of cleaning the fields out and watering and feeding the men, he definitely would have turned 
at the presentation of a coin. He would have done that irregardless. He was the quintessential sort of weak link that you have in a narrative. But don't you think... It doesn't matter how well you would have treated him. He knew that he could never measure up. He knew that. But don't you think that's a fundamental problem with how Sparta was as a society? We're not and how saying- it treated people? I'm not saying that Sparta was the most perfect society from a historical sort of viewpoint, from a satiated high school Katie sort of viewpoint. Yes, I'm, I'm living for it and I'm loving it, but I wouldn't want to live in Sparta. True, but I'm just saying like it brings up questions of fundamental problems of what Sparta was. But you're talking about a world where everyone gets participation awards. That wasn't Sparta, mate. It's not a matter of participation awards. It's a matter of being inclusive for everyone that's But part that's not of what you. you're talking about. We're because not talking about diversity and inclusion policies that we have in co- like corporations in 2019. This was 400-ish BC. It doesn't make it right, does it? But what are you talking about? We're talking about ancient history. In Game of Thrones, they have rape scenes with Khal Drogo and Daenerys. Do you think that was right? No. (laughs) Exactly, sir. Disarm yourself, if you'll pardon the direct reference pun. You, I, it's just, it, it's very clear that you wouldn't be a Spartan man. And that's not an insult. That's not a compliment. You can take it however you want. And I wouldn't want to be. This whole, this whole podcast is evidentiary proof that I would be a Spartan woman. All I'm saying is they created this problem for themselves. And essentially, it it led to the killing of the 300. The only mistake that Leonidas had was he didn't kill Ephialtes. That was the only mistake. It wasn't that he rejected him. It was the fact that he didn't kill him. And also coming back to our foundational qualms that we mentioned about it not being historically accurate. And it was from the viewpoint of Dilios. I actually don't think that Ephialtes actually looked like that. Because all we have in history is that he was a farmer that betrayed them right it's kind of how you would describe your ex like you would say that she was the ugliest thing around you know she kind of limped and all that sort of shit but it's not true Mm. right it's just from their point of view because he betrayed them he becomes this grotesque quasimodo eagle motherfucker looking thing (laughs) yeah right so it it's just an interesting sort of dynamic when you introduce a weak link i guess when you're looking at it fully strictly from the movie's point of view and not as a societal issue then it makes sense well we're not talking about a society where we love and accept everyone we're talking about a society where only the strongest thrive but you have councilmen that are shriveled as that can't even do shit yeah but the rules kind of get thrown out in regards to politics right because in regards to the social structure in regards to sparta you have the homoioi which only consisted of ten thousand, and you saw that in the rise of the empire film Mm. right and then you also have the Periakoi, which was close to like 50,000. And they were more for like trade, you know, providing weapons mm. and armor for the elite. And then you have the Helots, which were, you know, the, the, in regards to numbers, they actually equaled a lot. The Helot revolt was actually quite interesting. So if you want to read up about that and talk to Katie, um, we can have a rousing debate. Um, mm-hmm. Or in agreeance, we can do that as well. Um, but, you know, th- there was a social structure in place as well. And we didn't even talk about the fact that sometimes those that are in the homoioi can also be shunned as well. Mm. You know, as, as much as you're um, powerful and you're witty and you've got all of those sort of Spartiate sort of capabilities, you can also be cast out as well and also be isolated right you so even even the elite they weren't allowed to engage in trade 
um, whether it was creating weapons or any sort of thing. But if they had been shown as cowardice or, you know, dishonouring what it was to be a Spartan, they would also be cast out as well. What that mean would be any daughters you have won't marry off. And if you want to get married yourself, you know, no one will offer their daughters to you. So it wasn't as if they'd treated their own as well as well. So let's round off this episode, my friends and lovers. If you've still got snacks, please tell us your secret. (laughs) If you've still got wine, also please tell us your secret. So we have, in 300 in particular, we have a fully encapsulated story with a protagonist being Leonidas, Mm. with people around him being Gorgo, whether it's Theron, and, you know, everyone, his two I see as well. You know, going against the orders of the Ephors and also the Oracle as well, coming to fight in the Battle of the Hot Gates, otherwise known as Thermopylae. Mm. A lot of times he was asked to kneel and also submit Mm -hmm. as well, and he would never. Because, again, we talked a lot about, you know, it's your approach to battle and it's your approach to war. They were looking for a beautiful death. So there was there was no sort of manipulation. You could fall upon these strong sort of warriors, yeah. right? So you had them. There were some losses, but there were some major wins along the way. Mm. Unfortunately, with the f- sheer multitude of the Persian Empire, we saw the downfall. Yeah. So Leonidas had the cards that he was dealt, and he played them very well. He played them very well and he made sure that all of the structures are in place, including Dilios as well. Mm. According to historical accounts, he actually didn't get injured in the eye. He just had an eye infection. (laughs) But like Frank Miller and Zack Snyder, let's not let the truth get in the way of the story, Mm -hmm. right? So he said to Dilios, go and tell the rest of Greece that we died a beautiful death, right? Mm. And Delios is like, is there anything you want me to say to Gorgo? Again, he did, but according to the film, he said, no words need to be spoken. Also, if you try to do that to me, OT, I would raise you from the dead just to decimate you. <laughs> <laughs> just to decimate you. But again, he he sets up these structures. Delios leaves to tell everyone what is going on. And then we have the final scene. And it was a beautiful story. You know, if you want history, go and watch a documentary. But the way that this film ended was so beautiful. Leonidas in particular, he is ready. You know, they talk about him dropping his spear, him dropping his shield, him dropping his helmet. But that was only because the helmet was narrowing his vision. The shield was throwing him off at balance. He didn't drop his spear. Apologies. Come and fight me for many things. But when he had the spear, it was aiming at Xerxes. He did drop his spear in the movie, though. Thank you. You're right. He dropped his spear and knelt down and then picked it up and threw it once he told Celius to attack the guy in front of him. Wow, you really are respecting me in this episode. Maybe you are a Spartan man. I am. And that, my friends, and that, my friends, is what you call full character development for OT. (laughs) (laughs) So he picks up the spear. And he throws it towards Xerxes. And at that point, you know it's all guns blazing. Yeah. Or all spears hurtling, if mm-hmm. you will. Right? 
and he just goes for broke. And what I love about the final scene is he turns and he faces the sea of spears, you know, fighting in the shade. Yeah. Right? And he faces the spears and he calls out to Gorgo. Arrows rather than spears, but yeah. He calls out to Gorgo, which is quite emotional. Wow. I just gave you full character <laughs> development and then you came and undid it? Just like Rise of an Empire? Uh, <laughs> it was really emotional just seeing that. It was emotional until you open your mouth. You accept the outcome and this is what you lead to. The fact that this only sparred Sparta to go to war makes it that much better. Which was exactly what I was saying before you interrupted me. I just finished your trailer of thought, mate. And yet, much inferior. <laughs> so let's close off this episode with the final, one of the final quotes of this film delivered by Dilius. Remember us, as simple an order as a king can give. Remember why we died. For he did not wish tribute, nor song, nor monuments, nor poems of war and valour. His wish was simple. Remember us, he said to me. This was his hope. Should any free soul come across that place in all the countless centuries yet to be, may all our voices whisper to you from the ageless stones. Go tell the Spartans, passerby, that hereby, Spartan law, we lie. So, you know, we've, we've climaxed and now we're at a point where you get some snacks post-coitus my friends and lovers, as we dive into a segment we call For Your Reference. Oti. Ooh, what do I reference for this? I is, think it a, is it an African movie? <laughs> I think I'll go with um, Spartacus Fast. Nice. Just because you get to see Doctorio as well in there, Peter Mensah, he's great in it. It's the sort of kind of um, couple dynamic you get with um, Leonidas and Gogo, with um, Spartacus and Sura. Mm-hmm. And you just love these couples and you see how they spar each other along and how everything is about fighting for what you believe in. Mm-hmm. So Spartacus is one thing that you really have to watch if you've not. Um, my second reference would be Game of Thrones. Boo! <laughs> uh, you get to see Lena Headley in there. Like, she's amazing. Oh. She is great. And when we were watching the film, I was saying that she belongs to be on screen. Yeah, she, she really is Mm. she's a great actor and you get to see her in a full glorious sassy in game of thrones whether or not you agree with how it ended it's still a great show it's entertaining as even i had some enjoyable moments even though i don't care for it as an overall story mm. and i will reference vikings Mm-hmm. Skull motherfuckers. Vikings is actually, if you're listening to this in real time, Vikings is coming back in less than a month. Ooh. And the cute thing about our references, because it is purely coincidental and we didn't mean to do this, but we actually have an episode on Spartacus, two episodes of Game of Thrones, and we also have an episode on Vikings just to satiate you before the final season. Are you excited, OT? Oh, yeah, beyond, beyond excited. Beyond forever. <laughs> beyond excited yep and, and just like the title of the vikings episode i've always wanted to die a glorious death and if that isn't the most viking slash spartan thing you've ever heard then we don't want to hear it really mm. to be honest but thank you so much for joining us along this journey um it started off as a discussion about the movie and then it became more about historical facts particularly in regards to ot's corner <laughs> hey 
life is all about our frame of reference. And if you really feel like you can enjoy something without your personal experiences leaking into it, then there are some demons you need to reconcile, my loves. For sure. But thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please um, continue to listen if you've listened to a few episodes we love you if it's the first time you're listening we love you even more um on twitter and instagram we are for your ref pod you can write us an email at hello at fyrpodcast.com and again we've launched a patreon so please make sure you check out the details if you want to support us some more yeah, and see you next week we're done in haters <laughs> see ya bye